the kingdom. Uh, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, and we've had a little bit of technical difficulty. I I announced that we're going to be on on Facebook, and people start sharing it, and then we don't get on when we're supposed to. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I have a just a deluge of topics that we were going to talk about today, and uh, so I sent off to the Living Network, which is a network that we have that kind of reaching across the country, actually uh, to the other side of the world. Uh, but uh, I was going to talk a little bit about nationalism and our addiction to bondage because we are actually bound in our way of thinking. We learn a certain ideas when we're growing up, and uh, we kind of get stuck with them. And, you know, we go to college, we go to high school, and they teach us certain things, and we accept them as true. And to alter that uh, acceptance of what we already believe to be true is sometimes difficult. And it, and it should be difficult. It should be challenging because otherwise we would be tossed to and fro. We'd be constantly changing our opinion and our view of things. And so... Um, in looking at this idea of addiction and addiction to a certain way of thinking uh, that actually holds our mind in bondage so that we can't look at things anew, which, of course, the Bible tells us to look at all things anew, to be like a little child, to start all over again, and to look at things as if you haven't ever seen them before. And that opens our eyes to... Uh, reality that may be all around us, but we have been unaware of all along. And one of the problems is what are we looking with? We're looking with our mind and what we've already accepted. Like Mark Twain says, it's not so much what uh, we don't know that gets us into trouble, but what we absolutely know is true that just ain't so that gets us into the most trouble. We We accept certain basic ideas or they are at least basic in our own mind that this is true and nothing else uh, that interferes or questions what we've already come to accept as true could be true because if it was true, then we would have to be wrong. And people don't want to be wrong. They don't want to believe that what they, that their kind of mental life vest or flotation device is actually dragging them down and keeping them from safety. And I've given the example of the guy who was uh, saved after a ship was torpedoed in, and uh, he had been clinging to wreckage for hours, maybe days, and a lifeboat comes along and tries to pull him into the lifeboat, and he won't let go of the wreckage that has kept him afloat while he was alone in the sea because the wreckage 
that little piece of wood that he was clinging to had been his salvation. And he couldn't let go of it. And they, they couldn't pry his hands off of that. I mean, he was suffering from exposure and exhaustion, but he would not let go of the wreckage. And they couldn't pull the wreckage and him up into the boat. So they had to literally just pry his hands loose from that wreckage to get him into the boat. And that's a that's a little bit like the people in the world today in America is that there's a bit of a wreckage that they've been clinging to. And so how far back do you go? We've we've accepted certain premises that are just absolutely false. And if you want to step back and look at things anew, how far back do you step? How how wide a view are we going to take a look at? You know, and I run into this all the time where people are willing to see this. Oh yeah, I see that, but I don't want to see that. I'm not going there. We used to play a game, you know, the the heretic game, and we would bring up things that would label us as heretics, and uh, and uh, they would bring up one thing that was contradictory to what is commonly accepted today, but is very well documented in, in the biblical text. But most people wouldn't accept it because they never hear those those statements, and, and it includes Old and New Testament, and. Uh, and they, you know, I, I'm constantly quoting parts of the New Testament, and people who supposedly know the Bible, they don't even know where that is, because it's not the standard quotes. It's not what they normally hear in their church. But they're often very clear, very well translated, and nobody knows about them or knows what they mean or realizes the, the repercussions of what Jesus was actually saying and directing. And then we go through and write whole books showing that this is what the church was actually doing, which is the opposite of what the modern church is doing. The modern church has more in common today with the Pharisees. I mean, they say, you know, love Jesus, and of course the Pharisees didn't say love Jesus, so they think they're saying something different. But the Pharisees said, love Moses, and they didn't know Moses. Because if they knew Moses, they would have known Jesus. Well, that's an amazing thing. Wasn't Moses doing something completely different than Jesus? Actually, Moses and Jesus were doing the same thing in much the same way, although Jesus had a little bit different path than Moses, that what they were teaching was identical. But you would know that by reading the modern versions of the Old Testament and and what we've come to believe is in the New Testament. But Jesus there says, if you knew Moses, you would know me. He, he's saying, you know, he's appearing with Moses and Elijah. They're in agreement. They always were in agreement. They were always saying the same thing. Jesus said, I'm not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. He said, understanding of the Ten Commandments depended upon understanding these two commandments in relationship to those Ten Commandments, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Christ came that the whole world might be saved. Do you gather in your church that the whole world might be saved? Do you think the world is saved because they gather in your church? No, it's because they do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus says. They love me. 
Not those who say, Lord, Lord. Not those who say they believe. But those who do it the will of the Father. So you're not doing the will of the Father, then you're not saved. You're not his brothers. So you're not the children of God. So anyway, so what does this all have to do with addiction? Well, we're addicted to certain ideas. We want to believe that we know what we're talking about. We want to believe that we know who Jesus is. We want to believe that we are already saved. And the truth is, Jesus says there's going to be all kinds of people who think they're Christians, who think they're saved, but he's going to get you from the workers of iniquity. And so what is the iniquity he's talking about? Why are these people so deluded into thinking that they are Christians and they are actually not Christians? And actually, that isn't really a hard thing to come up with, uh, a conclusion about because we can look out there and see a wide variety of ideas coming out of the Christian community. Many ideas that are diametrically opposed to each other. You know, I have people who say they're Christians and say that Jesus was a socialist. And I know other people would say that's absolutely, completely false. He was the absolute opposite of a socialist. Well, which is true. And, of course, we share a great deal of evidence as to which is true and which is not true. And uh, you can go on on some of our websites and see the articles and study them, and there's audios and everything else that explain that. But we were going to talk about this addiction to bondage, and nothing binds us more than ideas. A lot of people ask me after I wrote the first book, Covenants of the Gods, um, they wanted to know if this works. They were talking about freedom and being set free and and all these kinds of things. Uh, but it says right in the book that there's nothing in the book about setting you free. Or anything. I'm just talking about the problem. And that based on the Ten Commandments, thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. And so how do you make a covenant with a God? And who is a God? And what does it mean to be a God? And what does the word, uh, you know, Elohim in the Hebrew and Theos in the Greek actually mean? And we have articles about that. But if you don't know the meaning of these words as they were used in the Bible, if you already think you know what these God's many are that Paul was talking about, then it's hard to tell you anything more because your cup is full. You think, that's it, I already know. And the fact is, is most of you do not know. Most of you have much to learn, but to learn that you have to be willing to unlearn what you already think is true. And we don't ask you to do this without proof. We don't ask you to do this without evidence. But in the final analysis, it's not the proof and the evidence that we present in all the books and articles and you know, with thousands of footnotes so that you can look this up in books that are available. I mean, I could I could pull out dusty books that you couldn't get or couldn't read online or, you know, with sources of authority that you couldn't check out, and then you just have to believe me because I was a real powerful speaker and could, you know, manipulate your thinking and kind of mesmerize you with the sound of my voice. Uh, and... Uh, and you would believe, but you would believe in me. You wouldn't believe in the truth. Ultimately, believing in the truth 
has to be written on your heart and written on your mind, not by me, not by the facts and information, but by God himself. The facts and information I share with you, I'm just rattling your cage, you know, so that you realize these things that you think are setting you free are actually bars that are binding you in. These, the idea that you are already free, that the idea that you are already saved makes you more a slave than anything I could do. Because you think you're free. You won't try to get out. You won't try to escape. You won't try to find a solution because you already think you're free. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who think they are free. So people want you to think that you're free so that they give you a society in which you're allowed to do all kinds of things that entertain you, that make you feel good, that, uh, you know, uh, continue making you comfortable in your delusion. Somebody sent a mem to me to, today on Facebook. I saw it, you know, hours ago. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's taken from the Social Security card, the, the imagery, but then the words on it are put in by somebody else, uh, occupied Democrats. These guys almost never get anything straight, and they have no idea why they never get anything straight. But it says on the little mem, Social Security is not an entitlement, handout, or government gift. It's an earned benefit. Now, the, the phrase earned benefit it's kind of an oxymoron. The benefit is something that somebody gives you that is a benefit. It, it's something extra. It's not what you've earned. But they say earned benefit. And, of course, the, the, the phrase is probably found in the Social Security uh, website, earned benefit, etc. But what they're saying is you get this benefit if you jump through this hoop. It doesn't mean that you've actually earned it. It's It's like... You know, jump through the hoop, you know, it's like trained dog. You jump through the hoop and I give you a little tidbit. But uh, it goes on to say, so that right there is kind of a confusing statement because you have to define what you mean by earned benefit. But it says that you pay into throughout your working life. Every cent is yours. No, every cent might have been yours, <laughs> but when you gave it, wasn't yours anymore. It goes into the treasury. And it, so it goes on to say, so next time politicians say we should cut Social Security, remember that they're trying to steal from your savings. No, they're not stealing from your savings. They're, they're taking money out of what was deposited in the name of Social Security that now belongs to the government. Now, the secondary thing is, and we have an article, and I, I sent people who sent up, put up this post, the, the article, and you can go to our website, preparingyou.com, and, and look for Social Security, and you'll find the article. Way back in 1937, uh, Social Security w by the United States Supreme Court was ruled as, you know, the funds are not separate. There is no division of funds. And they, they've ruled this over and over again. There is no division of funds. Those funds are in the Treasury, period. And you can create divisions in your own mind, but in reality, 
if the United States is bankrupt, Social Security is bankrupt, and we know the United States is bankrupt, technically speaking, maybe they haven't declared bankruptcy, but they don't have enough money, so they have to print more money all the time and raise the debt ceiling and raise the debt ceiling. Uh, they have to borrow. All, all the money that you pay into income tax, uh, it doesn't go to government services. It goes to pay the interest on on the loan that it has received theoretically through the Federal Reserve System. And uh, so there is no funds. All the money you paid in simply goes to pay down the debt. It doesn't go to provide you with any benefit whatsoever. It's simply every benefit you get creates more and more debt. That's all there is to it. It just the debt is growing constantly. You don't have there's nothing in there. It's gone. You have to curse your children with the debt that you're not paying in order to collect those taxes. But we're going to take this even farther when we come back to the kingdom. He's the kingdom. Show you how this all works. Be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this addiction, and uh, addiction is a strange thing. But almost every everything you do is the result of some sort of mild form of addiction. Uh, from when you were a small child, when you began to nurse and eat, the body secretes chemical in your mind that, uh, you know, endorphins and... and uh, uh, different types of chemicals are released and they give you a feeling of pleasure because the body is being satisfied, you know, with nourishment. So therefore you end up with an anticipation to go back and eat again and your body goes back and you eat again and you receive nourishment. And you become addicted to nourishment. You and, and that's good because without nourishment, you die. And so the body does this in a very minimal way in in which you will constantly return to those things that help you, that are good for you, that makes them, it gives you a certain amount of pleasure, uh, recognition, facial recognition of your mother if you're in a tribe or a herd or a congress if you're, baboons gathering congresses, uh, you will develop a facial recognition for your mother and you will return to your mother when there's a loud noise or a danger or something like that. And that protects you uh, so that you uh, are uh, going in back to those that will care for you, and she has recognition of you as well. And so that way they find each other and they strengthen the community because their bonds are stronger within that community. What happens, uh, a bizarre thing happens with the taking of certain drugs like methamphetamines, and it can also happen from injury, it can happen from disease, where the the connecting fibers in your brain that send the signal of facial recognition deep within your brain 
to give you that sense of that little secretion of pleasure can become severed with the use of certain drugs. They kind of burn that connection out, short it out. And so you look at somebody you know, and you may mentally recognize that's my parents. You know, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my husband, that's my wife. You may mentally recognize they look just like my parents. But you don't get the reaffirmation from the chemical secretion within your brain that that is my parents, that is my brothers and sisters or husband and wife. Because the connector has been damaged by drugs. This is this is actually becoming more and more common. I mean, you don't even have to take meth on the street. You could actually get this from an EMT and uh, who may sedate you because you need to be sedated. And if he over-sedates you, you'll wake up. And I actually have personal knowledge of people I know. I actually predicted that when they wake up, they're not going to recognize their parents. And so be aware of this because I knew they were over-sedated. They'd given a, a 12-year-old an adult dosage, and they gave too much for an adult thief <laughs> trying to sedate them because they were afraid that they had broken bones and broken spine. They didn't want them to move. And so when they woke up, sure enough, they didn't recognize their parents. They thought the hospital was not a real hospital. They thought everything was because they were not getting the reaffirmation in their own minds through this little chemical release because the legally administered methamphetamines uh, short-circuited that part of the brain out. Now, sometimes the brain can rebuild these connections, but it may take a while. But the point is, is that you're addicted to the recognition of your parents, of your family, of familiar places, and that helps you come back there. People who have lost short-term memory cannot remember how to even get back home if they get lost on their own street because they anything more than three minutes ago or five minutes ago, they can't remember. They've lost that ability to recall because of uh, high fevers or, or damage to the brain. But yet they still find their way back to the house. They don't know how they did it, but they still find their way back. Well, what's actually going on? Well, the brain, they don't remember, but the brain is giving, as they become closer and closer to their home, their nest, their their lair, uh, the brain gives them these chemical releases, and it becomes a pleasure to go to that house, to go into that house, <laughs> and they return but they don't have a mental recollection of it. So there's a lot going on, and there's actually even more levels to what is causing us to like this and like that and like this girl or like this boy. Why are you attracted to this individual? All kinds of little connections that are, are chemical in nature inside the body that you have no real control over is drawing you. There are also other things, spiritual things, that can draw you to one person as opposed to another. And some of those spiritual things may not be good things. Maybe there's a wickedness in them that confirms a wickedness in you. 
many many girls who have had brutal relationships with uh, men, maybe with their father before they were married, seem to be attracted to men who will create the same kind of relationship again, you know, abuse them. They go from one man to the next, and, you know, he's an abuser. And, of course, it's easy to place all the blame on the husband, and, of course, blame is not like a pie you can cut up, or husband or boyfriend, that you can cut up and say you get 40% and you get, you know, 10% of the blame. You know, the fact is is the the man who beats his wife is 100% to blame for beating his wife or his girlfriend. But she may be to blame for attracting, being attracted to that man. There may be something in her that she has not dealt with that attracts her to that man who is going to end up wanting to beat her. I mean, he doesn't think about that at the beginning. The beginning, they're in love with each other and they like each other and they are comforted by each other. But as the relationship goes on, all of a sudden, and this is repeated over and over and over again, throughout society. I I know of many, many, many instances myself. Now, occasionally people wake up and realize certain things and do some introspection, look at things anew, and they are not attracted to that same kind of person again. And that person does not abuse them, although they may draw that out again if they haven't completely dealt with the issues at hand. And uh, they may turn a normally nice guy into a bit of a tyrant. And there's a reason why they do this. And and it all has to do with people talk about everything being relational. It is relational on a chemical basis, habitual basis, on a spiritual basis, on a mental basis, an emotional basis. All these different factors will play into these relationships. The same with your relationship, not only with individuals, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, but also with communities and government structures. You know, I've pointed out many times, I've shown this, it's a matter of historical record, that democracy was considered a bad, wicked form of government over and over again throughout the, even as early, as late as 1927, it was still being published in, uh, the Army Field Manual that democracy was a bad form of government. Now everybody talks about it as a good form of government. And that's what we're fighting for, democracy. But at the beginning of the last century, democracy was a bad form of government because we weren't a democracy, we were a republic. Now the United States federal government was always a democracy, but the people were not a party to it. Now that's, that's just strange. People don't even know how that works. What do you mean we weren't a party to it? That, that's that been ruled over and over again in the past. Now, you're a party to it now, but 150 years ago, you were not a party to the Constitution. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the Constitution was passed without a democratic vote of the people. Had it been put to a democratic vote of the people, it would have been voted down. Historians all agree to that. You don't, you're not even aware of that, most of you, unless you've been listening to our shows and reading our books. But the majority of the people were against the Constitution, but it was passed without their consent. 
because actually it wasn't even legally passed, uh, but it's been acquiesced to by the, the individual states by participation, which is an important concept. They, you, in order for it to pass, it had to be unanimously accepted because they already had an agreement in place there could be no change without unanimous acceptance. There was not unanimous acceptance, and the new constitution was put into place. But the people who hadn't accepted it eventually acquiesced and accepted it. So, yeah, okay. Now it is, uh, it, it became the Constitution of the United States. But again, at that time, the people were not a party to it, which is why it was never put to a popular vote. But like I said, because time marches on, people are now a party to it. People don't understand how that works. Social Security is has benefits but they're not yeah they're not entitlements but they're and but they're not earned either they're benefits that come from men who exercise authority one over the other they force the contributions of the people who become members of the social security system and that money goes in but it hasn't gone in to pay for the benefits it's gone in to pay for the interest because they borrowed against the future to pay out the benefits. And so what Social Security actually does is make you a surety for the debt of the trust that they created. And since there's no division of funds, which, again, the article shows clearly, this has been basic concept of Social Security from the beginning. There's no division of funds. There is no division of the debt responsibility. You are all equally owing trillions and trillions of dollars, <laughs> the national debt. You're all in debt. And you, because you have no chance of paying it off in your lifetime, you curse your children with debt. So what is really going on? What is really going on is because you coveted your neighbor's goods. You wanted it in a social welfare system that guaranteed your welfare at the expense of your neighbor because you could have signed up for Social Security and been in a car accident. I actually know people that uh, were in a car accident before they turned 18. The day before they turned 18, they were in a car accident, so therefore they get Social Security for the rest of their life. And they were quadriplegic. Uh, long story. Fascinating story. But anyway, the point was is he never paid into it but he gets paid by it for the rest of his life. So it isn't a matter of you putting in money in, in, in savings. There is no savings. You're, the money's gone before you were born. You're just paying off the interest on the money that they borrowed to pay out these benefits. So that makes you a surety for debt. And it was designed that way, actually. Most of you, I don't, Actually, I don't know anybody who's read the Social Security Act or taken the time to find out the meaning of words enough so that they can read the Social Security Act. But I know even less, which is, is that possible? I don't know anybody who's read it, but I also know people, even less people than nobody, <laughs> who's read the book written by the guy who devised the plan. People do not know what it is, and even though you may read something on the Internet, it may not be true. So you actually have to go to sources and look them up. 
And so the reality is, is that Social Security is not your salvation. It is actually a covetous practice that has made you merchandise, surety for debt, human resources, and has cursed your children with that debt. Now, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe that. I understand you don't want to hear that, and you don't want to believe that. But it's my job to tell you anyway. <laughs> I'm not here to tickle your ears. I can make a lot of money. The ear-tickling business is booming these, these days. If you want to be a pastor who tickles the ears of the people and tell them that they're saved because they believe in Jesus, even though they are not doers of the Word, they actually do contrary to the commands of Jesus. Did you know he made commands? He said you were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority one over the other. Why? Because that's what, that is what Moses preached against. That's what John the Baptist preached against. Until John the Baptist, everybody was using force to set up their government. That's what it tells you in the Bible in two places. They were contracting the people together by setting up social welfare schemes where you'd sign up, get an identifying titleist or ID card. It wasn't a card then. It was usually carved on stone or clay. And that made you entitled, and you were registered by the scribes, and you were entitled to the benefits. But it was based on force, and it was called Corbin. Your sacrifice was forced. The Corbin of the Pharisees was forced. The sacrifice, that's what Corbin means, the sacrifice. It's also translated treasury in the New Testament because your sacrifice is supposedly put into a treasury. But they use that money up and they create debt and they accept benefits from other nations and they accept benefits from other institutions until they owe more than they have on deposit. And then they are bound in debt, which is, again, why you're here to make no covenants and why you're here to do the work to earn the rest, which is Sabbath. Sabbath is about debt, not being in debt. Earn the free thing first. Don't take a free thing and owe somebody else. You do the work first. See, that's Sabbath. You're in debt. You're not keeping the Sabbath. You're taking Saturday off or, you know, this lunar holiday off. That's not keeping the Sabbath. That's keeping days. That's not keeping principles. You're 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 not a Sabbath keeper. Period. That's all there is to it. Now, again, people don't want to hear that. I understand that because they are addicted to their religion, to their ideas, the ideas they've already accepted. You're going to have to get over that addiction, and you're going to need help getting over that addiction. And that's where we got to take this. We got to take this to where. God will help you get over that addiction. We're addicted to benefits. We're addicted to the idea that we're right. We're addicted to the idea that this piece of wreckage is saving our lives. So addicted to it, we will not get into the lifeboat of Christ and what Christ was really preaching in order to be saved. And I don't care if you take some of the wreckage up into the lifeboat as long as they don't crowd anybody else out. <laughs> you know? So people are surprised that we say, yeah, you can keep going to your church. 
you know, your Seventh-day Adventist, your Jehovah Witness, your Catholic, your Methodist, Protestant, Presbyterian. I don't even care if you're Buddhist. You want to still go down to the Buddhist temple? Go down to the Buddhist temple. I'm not trying to get you to belong to a religion. I'm trying to set you free or allow your, you to set yourself free by doing what Christ actually said to do. Because faith without action is dead. Faith without works is dead. What are those works? Those works are doing what Christ said to do. If you're not going to do what Christ said to do, you're going to end up doing what Christ said not to do, which is where you're at today. The modern Christian today does on a regular basis what Christ said not to do. Yet they call themselves Christian, followers of Christ. That's what Christian means, kind of, follower of Christ. But you're not following him. You're doing something completely different. You go back more than 2,300 years ago, and a Roman, actually he was Greek originally, but he, he became a Roman, and uh, he said, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits. The habit, we could say, the addiction of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. In other words, benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. You know, like FDR, LBJ, and all those alphabet agencies like them <laughs> that make that possible. By receiving those benefits, addicted to receiving those benefits by rule of force and violence. The people, having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, institute the rule of violence, the rule of force. And until John the Baptist, everybody was doing this. Polybius was well before John the Baptist. And he says, and now uniting their forces, incorporating their forces. Force, massacre, banish, and plunder who? Their neighbors. And the the neighbors to their nation, the other nations, they plunder them. Until they degenerate, the people degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. You see, Rome had been a monarchy 500 years before Christ. They were under what they called the Tarquinian kings. And they had a revolution. And they cast off the Tarquinian kings, which they had no right to do unless the Tarquinian kings, this is in our going to be in our article on nationalism, unless... The Tarquinian kings were usurping authority that was not theirs. Now, if you go back to the American Revolution, which really shouldn't be called a revolution, it was, except for the king was revolting <laughs> against agreements, which is, I'm not going to go on to all that, but we explain this in other books that are free. 
The king was revolting. We weren't actually revolting by using the correct word in international law. We should, we should not be calling the American Revolution a revolution in relationship to international law. It was a confrontation. But the reason why we shouldn't call it a revolution is because of the unwarranted usurpations of the king. Usurpations is seizing a use that was not his. He was seizing the use that he had no right to. Now, just briefly, when we talk about this thing of use, beneficial use is what we're talking about. Beneficial use, and I don't want to get into this too deep. You're going to have to go back and study. This is just a preliminary program talking about how Christ came to set you free, how Moses came to set you free, and how you can obtain that freedom but you cannot do it by just signing some little piece of paper or waving some magic legal spiegel wand and then you're suddenly free. You you have to actually earn the benefit of freedom. <laughs> because God isn't going to give you that earned benefit just because you say you have to be a doer. So anyway, the they the it was not a revolution. Because there was an unwarranted usurpation, seizing of a use. Use, property tax, is a use tax. Uh, income tax is a use tax. Uh, income tax on your private labor is a use tax. These are, uh, Social Security is actually a use tax. It's partly a fee, but it's, it's a use tax in the form of a fee based on earned income. And it's called earned income because you signed up. You you were absolutely willing. As soon as you signed up, you're saying, if I have an accident today and can't earn any more money, the government will now cover me, pay for me, pay for my difficulties at the expense of my neighbor. See, as soon as you were willing to covet your neighbor's goods, you stepped over a line of the Ten Commandments, and you became substitute master. We'll be back soon. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this idea of nationalism. Christ came preaching a kingdom, which is a nationalist 
concept that you're a part of a kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven at hand, also called the kingdom of God. Only Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. And the re- there's a reason why you only see this kingdom of heaven in Matthew, but we won't go into the explain in many places. But this kingdom of God, is, it's a national government under God. You can call it a theocracy, but God doesn't come down and tell you, do this, do this, do this, do this. He's not making up all kinds of statutes and rules and regulations and passing new laws, and then you have to redefine those laws because God is writing his laws upon your heart and your mind, upon the hearts and the minds of everybody seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, which is what the instructions are in the Bible. To seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that makes you a follower of the way, which we eventually were called Christians in Antioch. But the way was what we were doing. We were following a certain way. We weren't just, it wasn't called the thought. It wasn't called the belief. It was called the way. Because it was a way in which to conduct ourselves in the world, but not of the world. And again, that doesn't have the word, when he says my kingdom's not of this world, he's not using a word that means planet. We explain all this in articles and in books. The world that he's talking about is defined. I mean, that word in the Greek language that we see translated world, along with five other words that are translated world or should be, there's four others that are translated world. Uh, there's a third one, a uh, fifth one that should also, or a sixth one, that would count them all. It should be translated world, but they don't translate world. <laughs> but that's the point is, is that when he says my kingdom is not of this world, the word he uses means, and I'm quoting here, constitutional order or system of government. He's saying it to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom's not of your constitutional order or system of government. And Pilate washes his hands of the case. He dismisses the case. He says, I can't judge this man. He's from another jurisdiction. He's another nationality. I have no treaty with this man to rule over him or to pass judgment upon him. That's what's going on there. And if your preachers would tell you this and show you this, which we do show you, you might have a different view of the gospel. Because Christians... Now, they couldn't leave most of the early Jews, most of the Jews at that time, not all, most of the Jews at that time had signed up for the social welfare system of Herod, who was in debt to Rome because he was depending upon Rome's police powers to protect them. And so, therefore, he had tribute to pay to Rome because they had brought a military force into Judea to protect Judea at, at the request of the king of Judea. Now, originally, it was at the request of a king by the name of Aristobulus, who was in a civil war with another king uh, that was the actual rightful king to the throne. At least, had more right to the throne than Aristobulus. But Aristobulus had invited the Romans in under Pompey. They weren't an empire yet, but they had this police power that they were exercising in places like uh, the Gulf of Sidra 
dealing with Libyan pirates. We've been doing that for thousands of years. And uh, and he was invited to come over and help settle this civil war. Eventually, long story short, he decided that Aristobulus isn't the rightful king. This other guy is the rightful king. And he said, I'll back you. And that guy said, no, I can't depend upon your backing me. Because I'm not to make any covenants with you, nor with your gods. In other words, you're ruling judges. I can't, I can't do that. It's in my laws. It's in our bylaws. That which are the Ten Commandments. And he couldn't do that. And he understood that. So nobody had really consolidated a firm contract for the Romans even being in Judea. Herod had kind of done this, but Herod really wasn't the rightful king. He was kind of put into place. He really had no entitlement to king. But Jesus was the rightful king. And the people said so, and it says so in the Bible. The highest son of David. Now, people can dispute that, and we can explain why that's indisputable. He's doing the job of the king. He's firing the money changers, which is only the job that the king could do since the days of David. It says right there that he could fire the porters of the temple, and that's what the money changers were. That's that's why they were there, changing the money so that the people could pay their tithes. But they weren't called tithes at that point. They were called taxes at that point because under the Hasmoneans and people like Aristobulus and, and these other uh, guys that had come before the Pharisees, and the, they... Uh, they had set up a new type of government that had strayed from the ways of Moses. It took the translations like the Septuagint and everything in order to get by with some of these changes that they made. But there were groups that could see that they were going the wrong way. They were going away from the way of Moses. And Christ and John the Baptist and others came along and said, let's go back to the ways of Moses because that sets us free. Now, modern Christians are not going the way of Christ. They're not going the way of Moses. They're not going the way of Elijah. They don't even understand what the way is because they've been told a lie. That, you know, people have crept in and preached a lie. And so they don't even know the truth when they hear it. Now, some people might be willing to sit around long enough and listen long enough to find out what the truth is. And the truth is you should not be coveting your neighbor's good. It is the of men who exercise authority one over the other. You should have a daily ministration of welfare amongst you that is based on faith, hope, and charity alone. When America rose to greatness, it had that. Their welfare of the people was taken care of mostly by free will offerings offered to churches. Churches today don't do that. Oh, they'll take up collection for some poor mission in Mexico they, uh, or, you know, or South America, and then they'll feel real good about themselves. Uh, or maybe they'll give to, you know, somebody in Africa. You know, a lot of Baptists like to give to people in Africa. Amish like to go to places like Santo Domingo or and, I mean, you're gonna, you can find poor people everywhere. But 
the personal welfare, the widows and orphans amongst themselves, most people don't take care of that. Now, I, I included the Amish just a minute ago. A lot of the Amish do. They don't depend on Social Security. But if you don't want to grow a beard and you don't look good in suspenders, well, maybe you don't want to be Amish. But you can still seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in the kingdom of God, there is a daily ministration run through ministers of what is called the church or his church. I'm talking about his church. I mean, there's all kinds of churches out there. So we have this phrase of his holy church. This His church is what Jesus actually intended. So are you doing what Jesus actually intended? What the early church actually did, which formed a daily ministration? I mean, there was plenty of welfare around, and free bread and circuses were, were historically prominent at that time. They even had universal health care for a while. It didn't work out very good, you know, about like Obamacare is not working out very good, but they tried it. And, uh, you know, they they moved in another direction. The Christians moved in another direction. They didn't look for the free bread and circuses of Rome. They had a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity and what Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. It was a voluntary society. But was the early church a nation? We know, according to what we see there in Acts, and that uh, they were taking up collections when there was a depression in different parts of the Roman Empire and sending men there with funds and supplies to help out those people. Now, the government of Rome was sending funds and, and supplies too, but Christians couldn't eat of that table. They had a table that they couldn't, that the Romans couldn't eat of, but they had their own table, the table of the Lord. You know, and Paul talks about these tables, and he quotes David. Old Testament, New Testament are talking about the same thing. What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. And so that snare is that addiction that you have become addicted to. I mean, you can't even get by without the welfare of the nation of the world or the new world order because, I mean, all these nations, somebody sent me something, and I've known it for years. We wrote about it years and years ago that, uh, you know, all the major countries, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, just country is Sudan, all these countries have been taken down, East Timor, um, Panama, all these countries that have been taken down by either U.S. military force or by U.S. military aid in the form of armaments to countries like Indonesia with the worst human... Indonesia at the time had the worst human rights record in the world by international standards. And the United States gave them huge amounts of... uh, small arms, and uh, military equipment loaded off of American ships on to Indonesian ships that never even went to Indonesia, went straight to East Timor and invaded East Timor. And this was all done by Jimmy Carter to 
conquer East Timor. Hundreds of thousands of people died, rape camps, murder, mayhem. Uh, dozens of reporters were murdered to keep the story from going out. Nobody wanted you to know what was really going on there. And why? Because there was it, East Timor. I mean, like, who cares? What little tiny country? It was one of the few countries operating in the black, not in the red, like the United States, like Great Britain, like Canada, like Mexico. They were operating in the black because they had a huge amount of natural resources and they were not a socialist nation. And all that's changed. And it changed because of the U.S. military intervention. And they have a Federal Reserve system. Almost immediately they set up a Federal Reserve system. Same thing in Libya. Same thing in Iran. All and uh, Well, not Iran yet, <laughs> but Iraq. Um, this is what's going on. Uh, and you're all being manipulated, manipulated because you're all addicted to wanting to believe something, you know. I, you're addicted to being a Republican, addicted to being a Democrat, addicted to being whatever. Doesn't matter. But you're not addicted to knowing the whole truth. And, and that's what's going to sober you up. I mean, somebody wrote an article, I just saw it today, it was on the, uh, the NEA and others are playing with uh, our children's future. I didn't get to read the whole article, but it, the first few lines start off, Fault belongs to no one. The deck was stacked for sure. Fault belongs to everyone. They followed the education lure. Uh, evidently, uh, some sort of pedometer there and poetic uh, license. They didn't say where they got that from. But the reality is, is that what lure? What is drawing us? What is, uh, I mean, we went to school. Now, I didn't go to public school, but I went to school. So you think, well, you should send your kids to school. And public school is okay, but public school is educating your children at the expense of your neighbors. Sure, you pay in, but chances are you don't pay in enough. And you know that most of the school is being supported by other people who have to pay in. And uh, uh, the uh, the fact is, is you can't. Um, uh, you can't uh, accept those benefits without accepting the obligation that goes along with them. Anyway, I've got somebody who's trying to call me because <laughs> evidently they don't know that we're uh, we're we're not available right now. <laughs> So anyway, uh, uh, this idea of any kind of benefit from men who exercise authority is against Christ. Uh, someone once said, freedom is the right to choose, right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of choice and the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. And if you take away the right of choice of your neighbor, then the same power that you depend upon to take away the right of choice 
of your neighbor to pay into your child's education, to provide your parents with Social Security, to provide you with welfare or Medica, Medicare, Medicaid. If you take away the right of your neighbor to make that choice to help you with that, you your right to choose taken away as well. It's that simple. That's it in a nutshell. If you will not accept that idea, uh, you cannot find the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You are willing to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness because the kingdom of God provides all that you need through faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty. It does not provide it to men who exercise authority one over the other. If you have decided to go the way of the masses with that appetite for benefits that Polybius talked about, the addiction of receiving them by way of rule and force and violence by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you massacre, banish, and plunder freedom in the land. You've done this to your children, and now they, 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 they talk about all these kids demonstrating out there trying to change the course of their election, their democratic election. And they say, well, this comes from, you know, children who get a trophy for participation. No, it, they got education. Public school is the trophy for coveting your neighbor's goods. For desiring your neighbor's goods. That's the trophy you've got. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sweet in the mouth, but sour in the belly. You're turning your children. You know, it's not the NEA, it's you for sending your kids to public school to begin with. You think it will not have an effect? You know, D.B. Kidd wrote a book. I haven't read it yet, but, you know, I know D.B. Kidd, you know. And uh, I have a certain amount of respect for her, too. I mean, she's uh, she gutsy, um, but she's a redhead. Anyway, uh, her book is uh, Taking Politics Out of the Solution. Well, following Christ is taking politics out of the solution. It's putting righteousness in the solution. And the problem is most Christians are not following Christ. They're following an image of Christ created by modern churchianity. It is not doing what Christ said to do. She says, do you know not a penny of your federal income tax funds a single function of the U.S. government? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's meant to pay down the interest on the debt. And that's why they can charge you. It's because there's no division of funds. There's no division of responsibility. You are a beneficiary. Therefore, you are liable. You are a surety. You, and you can't just change this, and we'll get into that eventually, and probably take to the third show. But do you know the Federal Reserve isn't federal? Well, you know, people have said that for years, and the fact is it is a private corporate bank. But anyway, whether you want to believe that or not, that isn't the problem, though. I want you to understand. She's pointing out these realities, but that isn't the problem. The problem is you. That's good news. That is the good news, that that you're a sinner, and that you have brought about the problem. 
And the reason that's good news is you can do something about that. You can't do much about the Federal Reserve. You can think you can, but you really can't. Uh, it says, do you know that Social Security is not an insurance? Well, we explain all that in, in, in spades. We show you that it's a core B system. It's actually a system of core ban, a system of sacrifice to take care of the needy of your society and to add you as collateral for the debt and surety for debt so that the Federal Reserve would loan more money because they now had some sort of guarantee of assets to pay the interest. You are the means of production. And <laughs> they seized you. But they didn't seize you by force. You chose to sign up. Uh, a small child should have asked the question, so what? how did this work? I asked it when I was seven years old. I asked it again when I was nine years old. I, I got a little bit better answers from my dad than I got from anybody else, but I really didn't start understanding this until I was about 17 years old, and I really didn't get the whole picture that I have today until I was around 30 years old. And I only got that the grace of God. And the fact is, most of you aren't going to understand what I'm saying unless you're willing to let go of the idea that you already know. The fact that this is your fault, it's not the NAA's fault, it's not the nationalist government's fault, it's not the Democrats' fault, it's not the Republicans' fault. It's your fault. And that's good news because you can do something about you can't do it alone. You need God's grace. Because God will open your eyes. He will take the scales off your eyes. She talks about a volunteer destroying the middle class. We're destroying ourselves because we are dependent upon men who call ourselves benefactors but exercise authority. We will not come together in humility and charity and love for one another and take care of the social welfare needs of our community to open charity and the perfect law of liberty. We won't do that. Because we won't do that, we will not be free. If you want to be free, you have to start doing that. You have to gather together and create a daily administration that is operating, that's not neglecting the widows and orphans in need of your society. And if you tell me what have the widows and orphans ever done for me, head down the road, fella, because I can't do anything for you. Now, how did that work? You probably don't understand. It's not like you wrote a cherry. Certainly not like the guy hand $10 out the window with his son. That's irresponsible charity. You're not necessarily giving that guy what he needs. You may not be giving him what he needs at all. As a matter of fact, you may be encouraging him in his loss. You want to do what is good for him not simply what he wants. Because he may not want what's good for him. She talks about, uh, you know, 600 billion borrowed dollars a year on education, and our seniors uh, are entering college with uh, less than college-level reading skills. Actually, many of them are graduating from high school with less than what would have been considered eighth-grade reading skills 50 years ago. And 
heavily influenced by the idea of socialism. I mean, it only takes a few years at a young age, and children will begin to think that it's, okay, uh, of course, sending them to edu- uh, public education immediately tells them that it's okay to force your neighbor to build this school and pay for itself. It's okay to do that. It's what we do. It's not what Christ did. It's not what John the Baptist did. It's not what Moses did. It's not what all the men who came to free society did. It is what Karl Marx did. (laughs) It is what FDR would do. It is what LBJ would do. You know, I've I've, uh, changed the men this week uh, that we have up on LBJ. I think it's on our page on Divide. And, uh, you know, the... You know, like there was about six or seven percent of the kids born in black families were born to single parents before LBJ, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. But today it's by seventy percent. Well, that isn't a product of slavery. That's a product of socialism, and it it just went like wildfire to the black community, and it's going to the white community today. It's going to, I shouldn't even say white community, it's going to the national community today. Breakdown of moral standards. Young boys and women living together rather than getting married. It's commonly accepted. That's okay. You know, dating is shopping. Uh, It doesn't work that way. Uh, there isn't, yeah, they're pretty good kids. No, no. There's reason these social bounds were there to begin with. There's re- these ten commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Is not just a suggestion. It's essential if you want to be a free people. Uh there, there's all kinds of other things going on in the country, and what, what can we do about it? Somebody also sent me, there's an HR uh, 5815 uh, Resource Management Practice Protection Act of 2016 that was introduced by uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, congressmen or senators here in Oregon. And I, I, I went and read the text real briefly, and... Uh, I, I don't like reading all these statutes anymore, but we'll probably have to talk about what's really going on and why you should be concerned. But ultimately, you have to change your direction. You have to change your way of thinking. You have to think like Christ says, and that's all sense. And we'll we'll be back and talk about that. back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, that was uh, Representative uh, Walden who was sponsoring this bill. And 
uh, I wasn't sure why somebody sent it to me at first, but then I went and looked at the, the bill. And uh, but I, you know, one year I, I took a side and read every single bill that was actually appearing in front of at least the Senate, if not Congress. You can't read them all. I mean, um, it's huge. It's unbelievably huge the amount of stuff in it. But in in reading these going down, it happened to be a very critical year. I'm not sure what year is not critical in these things, but uh, you read down these uh, tome size uh, books uh, that are supposed to be a law, and uh, you find that there's uh, just item after item that are in, a, you know, like an insurance portability act that has nothing to do with insurance portability, and we talk about that. And we've written articles about it before the act was even passed. We knew about it, and it basically required a social security number for almost every single thing you do uh, in the in the America today, and uh, it was codified in Title 42, Section 666, that you have to have that number if you want a bank account, a job, a business, or anything. Now, technically speaking, you only have to have that number, you have to give that number if you have that number. It doesn't actually require that you have that number, but people don't know how to read these rules. So they say, well, you have to have the number to have the job because I have to write down the number. You only have to write down the number if I have the number. They haven't actually made it a requirement that you have the number to get the job. But in essence, that's what it comes down to. But anyway, that's another thing. But understanding how the, these laws are written and there's an actual code within the code, etc. but that's not going to set you free understanding all that. What's going to set you free is repentance, thinking a different way than you've been thinking. And when first, someone first reads this, they knowing the plight of the Hammonds who were sent to jail for doing no harm whatsoever, uh, sent to jail, they're going to spend ten, between the two of them 10 years in jail. And they didn't do any harm. They didn't cause any loss. Uh, they didn't threaten anybody. They actually protected people and protected their neighbors and improved the ground. But they ended up in jail because somebody wants the mineral rights of their land. And they're using the government in order to get them. And people are sitting back saying, well, it's the government, so it must be right. But they don't actually look at the facts. I mean, they don't even know what the government's doing or why it's doing what it's doing or anything. And it's like taking drugs. You go to a doctor and he gives you drugs. You know, like uh, he could give you methamphetamine and cause you to not know your parents anymore. <laughs> he gave you too much. But you just take these things, and you don't know how much influence they have because you have no standard. And I, I told you at the beginning of the show that that all kinds of things affect our choices. All kinds of chemicals are released. I mean, somebody, you, you, the first thing your mother does is addict you to eating. And that's a good thing, because if you don't eat, you die. The first thing they do is they slap you, so you cry. You know, they take a breath to addict you to breathing. Because when you breathe, the body secretes these chemicals that make you feel good. That's why when you go to sleep, you start your breathing changes. Because the body is addicting you to certain behaviors that are necessary for life. So addiction, in that sense, is a good thing, because otherwise you would die. 
And things that could interfere with that addiction to life could cause sudden death, uh, you know, sudden crib death, you know, sudden death syndrome, or what they call crib death, where a child just suddenly dies. Because something interfered with the process of that addiction, the signals in your brain to go to this part of your brain to release those uh, endorphins and other chemicals that are going to give you a good feeling about breathing, about eating, about eliminating waste. These are good feelings. And your body is addicted to them. But you can become overly addicted, unbalanced addiction, and overeat and end up weighing 300, 400 pounds. So something that would interfere with that addiction would be good. Maybe you have addiction to judgment and anger and resentment. People have people have wrongly judged you, abused you, abused your family. And you you resent that. And you say rightfully so. Well no, not rightfully so. I mean, yeah, there's a reason for resenting that. But rightfully so, no, because judgment is God's, not yours. You should forgive them. That would do more for them, you know, than anything else you could do. You said, why should I do anything for them? They're being mean to me. Well, what it will do, if they if they continue to be mean, they continue in their way, they will be confronted with the evil in their own heart because you forgave them. But if you judge them, they don't have to confront that. They can look at you. So if you don't get angry... You will force them to see the wickedness that they have brought to your relationship. But if you become angry, they just look at your wickedness by forgiving love. See, forgiveness is power because you let God put his pillar of fire between you and them. When you forgive, you leave judgment to God. But if you choose to judge, no double jeopardy in the kingdom of God. So therefore, you cut God out, and now it's your problem. And it will be your problem. But if you're addicted to being angry, resentful, judgmental of other people, you may fear judgment of yourself, but you are judgmental that other people are judging you. And so the only way that you find to release yourself from that judgment is maybe take a drug or overeat or have illicit relationships with other people or abuse your own body in some way. And But that's not the solution. The solution is forgiveness. The solution is love your enemy. And you won't need to take these other things that alleviate the pain that you are causing yourself. You see, it goes back to that same thing, that you are the problem. It's not other people are the problem. It's you. It's not the government. It's not judgmental, cruel, vicious things that other people may say. It's you. The more you see that, the more your body can find the balance without you trying to artificially balance it with alcohol or food or drugs or 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 voting, other addictions. <laughs> you think the 
voting will save you? You think we will vote in a new Saul who will save us? From what? From ourselves? No. The beautiful thing about knowing that you're the problem, what you don't want to see, what you want to believe is true, whatever it is, the beautiful thing about that is that you change your way of thinking. Allow God to change your way of thinking. And you're already on the road to recovery. You don't have to get a majority of people on the road to recover. You just have to change. You can't change yourself. You have to accept the fact that you cannot change yourself. But you can allow yourself to be changed. And the reason you're not unaddicted, the reason you have an imbalance in your society and in your life and in your family, the reason you have that balance, imbalance, is you. You're not allowing the balance to come in. One of the first things to do to allow that balance to come into your life is admit that you're the problem, that you're wrong, that you've accepted things as true that just ain't so. You have to turn around. Back to that little act. You know, you go down and read the act and talking about inserting A after F and I and by adding after and below the end of the following, and subparagraph A shall not apply if, and the damage of the or destruction. So you have to go and read the original code because they're changing sections of the 844 uh, code. And they're just putting in little words here and there, and this is what the whole bill is about. But you read it all. Down in the last thing they say in in this part two is an individual who has not attained 16 years of age is not used in the setting of fires. By putting that line in there, the Hammonds remain in jail. Now, I don't know whose idea it was to put that line in there. Because, see, they had a young boy who was a relative, by at least by marriage, that was with them and helped them set the backfires. I mean, 16. I mean, people used to get married at 14, for God's sakes. That's another reason why your kids aren't allowed to grow up. But he helped them set fires. I mean, setting fires, I mean, what you know, you, you light some little fires. They were setting a backfire uh, to stop a fire. And it worked. And they use somebody, because you have to start it in several places all at the same time, so they spread everybody out, and they started the fires. But because they put that one little clause in there, the Hammonds remain in jail. Hammonds remain in jail. Their mineral rights are still in danger of being stolen, which is what everything is all about. It's about mineral rights and water rights down in Nevada and California. And, and there's big money behind all this. And it goes on and on and on and on. And anybody who doesn't want to admit that, doesn't that? I mean, like like Chuck Schumer, he's been around forever, you know. I mean, who were his contributors? Who wanted to see him get elected? He got a half a million dollars from Goldman Sachs. He got over a half a million dollars from Citigroup Incorporated. Why are they giving him a half million? They love Chuck Schumer that much because they put these little bills together and these little things, and they they make these guys millions of dollars. I mean. Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan and Chase Company, uh, Paul Weiss at all. All these guys are giving, you know, 
over a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars to Chuck Schumer. Why? Influence. These guys are all bought and sold. And they put these little things in. Well, you know, okay, so Goldman Sachs wants to make a lot of money. And it does. I mean, I mean, I could tell you stories that just curl your hair. You just wouldn't know. I will, uh, unbelievable. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars filtered into the hands of a few men by these favors and done by these congressmen and presidents. You know, I can show you. It's just a matter of public record. But your news media isn't going to point it out. Uh, because they're bought and paid for it. <laughs> I mean, if somebody does come up with it, they're on a little tiny radio station like us, and we show you. But pointing out the corruption of the world, okay, that I don't want to harp on that. I want to deal with... Uh, resolving a corruption that will make a difference in your life. You have to think and see things differently. You have to think differently. That's what repentance means. Changing of the mind. Changing the way you think. And if you think it's okay to take from your neighbor, you know, this addiction for benefits at the expense of your neighbor you're going the wrong direction. You know, the masses continue with this appetite for benefits and the addiction of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. You you are only... Somebody was asking me, is is there a way... And, of course, I've, I've written books that explain in great detail, but mostly I'm setting the scene. Uh... I'm not going to tell you. If if there was some little paper you could sign and suddenly be free or or some magical instrument that you could put into motion that would suddenly set you free and you become these free people, who would I give that to? Who would I bestow that upon? Who is deserving of such freedom? Christ showed you the way. To freedom, and it took a long time before people were really completely free. But Rome fell. Now, I don't think whatever is posing as Roman, uh, you know, the same Roman Babylonic city of Cain, whatever you want to call it, system. They all operated. Sodom and Gomorrah operated the same way. Uh, Sodom was not condemned because of sodomy. That isn't the sin of. Sodom and Gomorrah. That that's a symptom of what Sodom was doing. Sodom was the name of the city. That is a symptom. It tells you what the sin was. In a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. How do you strengthen the poor? You don't strengthen them by giving them more and more money. You you don't make kids smarter by throwing more and more money at the NEA. You you don't. You don't make people more responsible by taking responsibility away from them. You you don't make people more charitable by forcing them to give. You have to think a different way. We've we've accepted a lot of ideas that just ain't so. We have to give peace a chance. In other words, stop trying to force your neighbor to give you what you want and start 
caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. If you want your rights back, you have to take back your responsibility and your responsibility not only to God, but to your fellow man. And this is what the early church was doing. This is what the Levites were doing when Moses first called them out. And Jesus called the apostles out. They were teaching the people how to love one another. And they were doing this by help, rightfully dividing the bread from house to house. They were working daily in the temple. The temple was a government building. What was the church doing working in the temple? I thought the Pharisees had the temple. No. Christ took over the temple, fired the money changers, and at Pentecost they picked new administration that was going to minister through faith, hope, and sharing the perfect law of liberty without exercising authority one over the other. They were creating a different form of government than that which they had been under before. And they were a nation. They were not dependent upon a piece of ground alone, one piece of ground alone. And they let the Pharisees have Judea eventually, but only when the armies of Titus were surrounding it. And they went out and went somewhere else. And they survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And they thrived during that period. And for a thousand years, they lived throughout Europe, virtually without any successful tyrant rising up over them, coming to the aid of each other, village after village, a whole history of this that has just been darkened to you. We call it the Dark Age, but it's only dark to you. They didn't want you to know what was really going on. And they were taking care of one another. But then they lost sight of that. One generation lose sight of that. And then the beast rises up and begins to annihilate those free people. You don't know where you're at in history. You don't know where you're at in prophecy. And there's really no point in explaining all the details to that. Just somebody sent me a thing on somebody interpreting Daniel and all this kind of stuff and lots of sing-songy language and everything. They don't understand because they don't understand the basic principles of the kingdom of God and what righteousness really looks like. If you would really start taking care of one another. People don't realize how they're completely changed. Another story I put up recently about the Lumbee Indians in Pembroke, North Carolina. They don't have the regular tribal status. They have some state tribal status, but they don't have the regular federal tribal status. And they're doing great. They're doing wonderful. Uh, that you know, they own businesses and banks and land, and they're free and they're well off. Now, some Lumbees are poor, but generally speaking, they're some of the best, you know, well-off Indian groups in in America. Well, other Indian groups have been given millions upon millions of dollars. And, yeah, the land that they're on is often in remote areas, but I can show you remote areas that are prospering throughout the world. Welfare, social welfare, public education, taking care of your parents. Ten Commandments. Ten, ten Commandments. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. And I've explained that the word honor there means to fatten, to take care of. To to nourish up your father and your mother. Income tax is a patrimonial right. It's tribute is a patrimonial right. 
to your father the state. But Jesus said, call no man on earth father. You should be taking care of your parents and your and, and your parents taking care of your grandparents. We've gotten away from that more and more. The government takes care of them. They get their Social Security check. Yeah, the money's borrowed. It's not the money that they put on deposits. It's borrowed against my future, and I will have to pay taxes and to take care of, of not only my parents but everybody else's parents. This breaks down society. It weakens society. It's, you know, now the Lumbee Indians are still within that that parameter, and they haven't escaped from it. But just they're far enough away from the socialism that you see on the reservation that they've become extremely successful in this world. If they want to survive the coming collapse of the economies of the world, they need to put on the full armor of God and start taking care of one another by faith, hope, and charity. And each step, everyone takes in that direction will bring its own reward in that direction. You know, I see people constantly complaining about, you know, like Indians saying the white people stole our land. That's the new thing is they're they're talking about the alt-right. The alt-right. And they're even there's guys putting up memes and videos and everything that the alt-right is somehow white supremacists. And you probably will find white supremacists on the alt right, and and uh, uh, people who you know have this uh, Christian identity movement thing and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't have. It doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and being white. It says seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everybody can seek that righteousness. Anybody can seek that righteousness. Israel was to be a priest to all nations. And that was their their mission. They were not to lord it over anybody or to keep anybody from... They were to teach these principles to all nations. And that that principle is to love thy neighbor as thyself and to love God. God is a fruitful God who gave rights to... Adam and Eve empowered them. He has certain principles which we see laid down in the Ten Commandments and that are our guideposts that we should be following. But that that path, following Christ, leads to freedom under God, which we call the kingdom of God. And most of you will not probably get a chance to see the kingdom of God in its fullness on earth as it is in heaven because many of you will be dead by then <laughs> it's it's not going to happen easily there's going to be a decline and fall of the present Roman Empire and like I said it, that's probably going to be much faster it took about 400 years uh, for Rome to completely collapse I don't think it'll take 400 years it might take 40 years. Uh, it would be pretty well done in four years. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, and I, it really doesn't matter because what you should be doing is seeking that kingdom of God and his righteousness, coming together with the purposes of Christ, to serve one another, to take care of one another, 
to be that peculiar people. I have an article up that I put up not too long ago on that at Preparing You. What does that mean, this phrase, peculiar people? We need to take a look at these things. We need to see how they relate today in our day-to-day -day lives. We have to take a look at the whole picture and stop blaming everybody else for our present circumstances. Start becoming a part of that pattern that Christ laid down from the beginning. Until then, peace on you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.